You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. So, Exodus Old and New, this is week five. Next week will be week six, our last week in the book of Exodus, which, yes, means that we are shrinking everything down, okay? We're miniaturizing everything, which is kind of hard to do with such an epic story. If it seems like at any point, maybe this story is too big for you to grasp, that's normal, because this is a crazy large story that affects everything. Remember our first week together, we talked about how this book, Exodus, and this story paints a picture for us of the way that God chooses to save his people throughout all of history. And so I think we're going to see that again this morning. And last week, while we, while we were together, we saw plagues. Plagues, 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 plague after plague after plague, and we saw specifically God declaring war and judgment on the gods of Egypt. Okay? And now, here's the thing that I was thinking about this week. Well, okay, our idea for la- our big idea for last week was that by blood, Jesus spared you judgment. How did we see that pictured? We saw that pictured in the Passover meal, right? With the Passover lamb, with the sacrificial lamb, and the blood being painted on the doorposts. And we celebrated the Lord's Supper together last week, where we looked at the the new and final version of that Passover meal that points us to Christ. Well, this week, we need to talk about another picture of the gospel that has been given to us in Scripture, and that is baptism. Through water, Jesus has redeemed and He has raised you. Through water, Jesus has redeemed and raised you. But here's one thing that I kept getting struck by this past week, is the fact that here in the text today, we're going to see the Egyptians, when they saw the chaos that was in their land, and they saw the way that God was protecting His people, they joined up. They threw in with God's people. And they left Egypt with God's people. They crossed through that Red Sea. Not only that, but we talked about the fact that there was some... And Moses is going to keep on repeating it today, that the prophecy of God's people being paid back for their time in slavery and getting to carry the riches of Egypt with them... He's going to repeat it over and over and over again because it is that fulfillment of prophecy from Genesis chapter 15. God speaking to Abraham and saying, you're going to have a vast nation that comes from you and that nation's going to go into slavery. But when they get out, they're going to be paid for it. They're going to get the money for it. But here's the thing that I was struck by when thinking through the Exodus again this week was the fact that The gods of Egypt have been defeated. Kind of. All except for one of them. This this one being a man-god. Not a god-man like Jesus that we confess together, but a man-god. Pharaoh, who sees himself as the appointed one from the gods. The one has been given to his people to rule over them and to profit from them. 
But we're going to see what happens to him. And you just saw it in the kids' video. And here's another thing I was thinking about. You know, our world is full of new gods. That might be a little bit of uncomfortable language to think about, but I like putting it in these terms because the word idol, I, 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 it doesn't compute all the time. I like to think about the new gods. And they've gotten pretty clever, haven't they? They can no longer be attacked um, by, by plagues or hardship. No, the new gods stay high above all of that. And they definitely can't be drowned in a bit of water like Pharaoh. Because let's face it, we are advanced people. We are advanced people who... Um, and our gods are advanced. In fact, our gods have gotten stronger in the recent plague that we've been in as opposed to weakened by the plagues like we see in Egypt. Think about your own life. Perhaps the god of entertainment has been pleased by your sacrifices to her over various lockdowns and lonely times during COVID. And each and every time that you start to break away from her spell, she produces something new that can draw you back in. Where you open up your wallet. You freely give of your time. In any other context, we would call that worship. In fact, we know that entertainment has been teaming up with, and I'll, I'll try to keep it as PG as I can here, it's a word that begins with the God of S and ends with the letter X. We know that they've been teaming up together and that this other God brings to you things like pornography or something lighter, like Tinder, to occupy you um, when you are supposed to be distanced from other people. And let's not forget Technology. Do you remember those days at the beginning of lockdown when um, we weren't allowed to go to church or leave the house to exercise? And yet, you could go online and you could order any piece of technological equipment that you wanted. Because that was essential. What we really needed was to maybe have church. And to see human faces. But first, you had to tithe to technology before you could hear the good news about Christ. And you had to filter the faces of everyone that you loved through those digital images. And now, if you're lost by what I'm saying, have no fear. We're going to bring it all back to Exodus here in just a minute. A question that I'm left with in all of this is, does the one true God of the Bible have any authority in this new spiritual realm? Like what, uh, like what Rod was reading for us this morning. Does the one true God of the Bible have any authority in this new spiritual realm? And by that I mean, uh, is He able to trounce? Is He able to humiliate these gods like He did the Egyptian gods in battle? How is God supposed to get His foot in the door when it comes to gods like these? Now, this may seem like strange language um, about other so-called gods. That's the way the Apostle Paul talks about them. There are obviously more than the few that I listed here, like government and politicians, like greed, 
like our different cultures that we come from, like our ancestors, like magic, like ritual, just to name a few. But this language should not strike us as that strange. Here's what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god and that there is only one god. There may be so-called gods, both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods. And their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it. And we don't gain anything if we do. So there's a specific circumstance that Paul's speaking about there. But what is an idol? Uh, one, one pastor defines an idol like this. It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Anything that you seek and get, anything that you seek to give you what only God can truly give to you. So why make a big deal about this today? Because last week, God declared war and judgment on Egypt's gods, on their idols. And this week, we're going to see God finish the job. He's going to take that man-god, the politician, <laughs> the one who would claim all authority over his people, the person who thinks that he is God in human form and the gift of the gods to the people of this world, that person being Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who while claiming to be God, brings nothing but unbelief, to his people, right? They doubt him in the end. We saw this. We saw that he allowed them to suffer. That if he would just let God's people go. God didn't even say, repent and believe. He just simply said, just let them go. And all is fine. But what did Pharaoh do? No, I'm God here. You don't say that to me. And his people suffered. So with Pharaoh, he brought nothing but unbelief and sorrow and suffering and in the end, death to his people. Over the last couple of weeks, we have seen that um, when God's people are in pain, uh, when they suffer, that God is not silent. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 showed us this. It says there that um, God saw the affliction of his people that He heard their cries, and that He knew their pain. And in knowing them, He also reminded us that He's never forgotten the promises that He made to His people. And Christian, once again, this is true for you as well. In times of suffering, in times of affliction, God sees it. He hears your cries. He knows your pain, and He has not forgotten His promises to you. And then in verse 8 of chapter 3 of Exodus, God Himself says, I am coming down 
to rescue my people. I'm coming down to do something about it, to deliver them and redeem them. Now that is strange language, isn't it? That's kind of strange language. God saying, I'm coming down. Me, myself, in person, I'm going to do this. Because where, where do we see God walking around? Where's He at? Well, we're going to see it today. I want you to remember who is doing the doing here. Okay? Who is doing the doing? God Himself is going to be doing the doing. He's going to be drawing near, near to handle this situation. Oh yeah. And, and where is God saying this from? Well, He's speaking to Moses in that moment from fire. From a bush that's on fire. Right? Keep that in mind. Because you're going to need to remember that fire as we go through the story this morning. So I'm going to turn over to kind of where we left off. If you wanted to follow along, I am going to be jumping around just a little bit. But it's in chapter 11. I'm sorry, chapter 12 of, the, of Exodus. Forgive me, my notes are on multiple sheets of paper because we didn't have power last night. So forgive me for that. I would say that I plan to be more organized, but I don't know if that's true. So just take it for what it is. We're actually going to be in chapter 13, starting in verse 17. So chapter 13, starting verse 17. And we've just seen the firstborn uh, of all the Egyptians die. This is the livestock and the men. Okay, the firstborn of the men. Why again? Uh, well, a couple of reasons. The, the first being that God says, look at what you've done to my firstborn, Israel. And then also we see that there is another firstborn, <laughs> uh, the, the, the true Son of God, God Himself, who's going to be dealing with all of this in the future. But here's what we read in verse 17 of chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. This is a little bit of a curious statement. I didn't put a map up on the screen today, but there's a really direct route that God's people could have taken to get out of the land. But instead, God's going to take them down by the water where they can't cross, which seems like a worse idea, right? I mean, that's a bad tactical decision. You're getting pinned in by the water. And yet, we're going to see that God has a plan here. And also, he did not want his people to be frightened by war because they were going to be marching through enemy territory. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Super interesting statement. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones with you from here. And they moved on from um, one place <laughs> and encamped at Itham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night, 
and a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. All right. You saw it in the video, the kids' video last week, but here's our first glimpse of where God is at in this story. Which you should say, Wade, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That's good. That's a healthy skepticism right now, okay? But this is exactly where God has placed himself. He's placed himself with and in front of his people, leading them. And not only that, he has placed himself, if you want to say it like this, within a cloud. And he has placed himself within fire. Now, this is not the only time in the book of Exodus or in the Bible that we're going to see God uh, approaching his people and being with his people um, in fire, if you want to say it like that. Okay? So, the first example we have, we already talked about, was the burning bush. Okay? God's voice is speaking from the burning bush. And here, we have this pillar of fire, and God is leading his people. Later on, as we finally get out of Egypt and we get to Mount Sinai, where God gives His law, and at nighttime there's going to be a pillar of fire that's resting on top of the mountain, that's shrouding the vision of God's people from seeing God. Okay? So over and over again, actually, we're going to see God appearing in fire. And... This is not the only time in Scripture that we see God appearing in cloud either. Uh, you can think, actually, one more cool fire story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as one of my favorite uh, childhood teachers used to, used to say, my shack, your shack, in a bungalow. Okay, that was always my favorite. I still, I, that's the way I say them first in my head before I say the real names each and every time. Okay, and so... Um, who, who appears in the fire, right? The angel of the Lord. Um, what many would say, Jesus himself appearing in the fire to save these three men from the furnace. Um, elsewhere in Scripture, we see uh, uh, God appearing in cloud. We're going to see it again at Mount Sinai. Uh, we're going to see it throughout the Old Testament, but it's not the only place. Actually, we just read it a couple weeks ago at Jesus' transfiguration. Um, when he goes up on the mountain and, and Peter sees him standing there with Elijah and Moses, and what happens? Uh, there's a cloud that goes over the mountain, and um, it overshadows the mountain. And God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We also read about in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, went up in a cloud. And we read in 1 Thessalonians that we will one day again see Jesus descending from a cloud. So, take from it what you will, but God likes to use these means to which either hide Himself or reveal Himself to us. And we're getting a little bit of each here in the book of Exodus. All right, I'm going to turn over to chapter 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because that there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? 
What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. Hear this one again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. I think that that's Moses' uh, or our Bible translator's kind way of saying another thing to the, to the Israelites. Be quiet, okay? <laughs> you have only to be quiet. Sometimes we see words like this in Scripture and we think, oh, these are very holy and reverent words. When in reality, as Moses is saying, shut up. Just be quiet. Hold still. God has brought you this far. He is going to fight for you. Skipping forward just a couple of verses. Verse 19. Then the angel of the Lord who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host or the army of the Egyptians and the host of Israel, the large group of the Israelites. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watched the Lord and the pillar of fire and of cloud. And in the morning, watched the Lord and the pillar of fire and of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them and against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord, the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is a horrific tale, actually. It's very much like the flood, where we see the cute animals, and the reality is that it's a horrific tale. It's, it's a tale of fear of God's people running for their lives. 
and it's a tale of death. It is the death of the gods of Egypt as well. And it is a picture to the Israelites of the life that they have in God. Okay, I still have way too much to go through this morning, so I'm going to try my best. Um, uh, we want to see some, some, some differences here between Pharaoh and between Jesus. And we're going to see how we get to Jesus in just a second. Remember, Pharaoh brings unbelief to his people. He brings sorrow, he brings suffering, and he brings death to his people. And in the end, he dies for his people. Or does he? He dies for himself. So proud and humiliated at the same time that he can't live with defeat. And so he drowns in his in death. While Jesus, on the other hand, he brings to us faith, joy, and comfort, and life. And he does that through his death. The Apostle Paul tells us, if I can find the right passage here, the Apostle Paul tells us um, that it is through the waters of baptism that we move from death into life. That baptism is a picture to us of that. And we see not only is it a picture to us, but it's actually us dying in Christ's death for us and being raised up to life into Jesus' life for us. Galatians chapter 3, verse 25. But now that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian, that being the law. For in, Jesus, for, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The next book that we're going to study together is Galatians. Um, and we're going to see this oftentimes. But Paul here is making a... Uh, making a a stark contrast for us. Because elsewhere, we, we read this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses. <laughs> so Paul here in 1 Corinthians, what's he, what's he doing? He's saying, look, when they walked down into the sea and they came back out to the other side, this is baptism. For the Jews. This is baptism for God's first people. And they were being baptized under Moses' leadership, his headship. And, and they moved from slavery to freedom. They moved from death to life. Paul continues. Um, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ, which we're going to talk about next week. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, 
These things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. I love it in the New Testament that Paul takes such an epic story about life and death and pain and suffering and slavery and freedom, and he boils it all down and he says, this is just like your baptism. (laughs) Quite frankly, one of the most simple and smallest things seemingly in the whole world And he says, oh yeah, this other amazing thing, this rock that they drank from, we'll read about that next week. Jesus was the rock. And He's the rock for you. Romans chapter 6 as well. Um, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united to him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here in just these couple of verses, uh, the Apostle Paul has has (laughs) told us that That cloud was Jesus out in the wilderness leading His people. They were baptized into that cloud and into the sea as a picture of what would happen in the future in Christ. The last thing I want to read for us this morning is the song of Moses. The song of the sea, if you will. I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider... He is thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and His host He has cast into the sea, and His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of Your majesty, You overthrow Your adversaries. You send out Your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of Your nostrils, the waters pile up. The floods stored up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the hearts of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord? Among the gods. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy house. Your The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Um, now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arms. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, where you have made your house. 
the sanctuary, O Lord, where your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever. And then Miriam adds this at the end. Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider He has thrown into the sea. I love because in Moses' song, he recounts what has happened. And Miriam adds on to this as a promise. This is what he's done and this is what he's going to do. This is who God is. Look, um, I started off with this whole conversation about God's And here's where I want to take it in the end, okay? Um, Pharaoh, the man-god, dies and his death amounts to nothing. If anything, it amounted to maybe a couple of years of political turmoil in Egypt and uh, that people suffering a little bit more. But his death brought nothing good because it couldn't bring anything good. Well, Jesus, in his death, gifts to us, brings to us faith, joy, comfort, and life. Both die, but only one can actually die for His people, and only one can die to save His people. And in this portion of the Exodus, in this story, as God's people are finally fleeing, that's pictured for us in baptism. Because does God actually have authority over these other gods? Look, time and time again in the New Testament, we get the picture of baptism as a violent death. Peter does the same thing for us, using the language of the flood as baptism, right? And that baptism either leads to destruction or it leads to life. For you and for I, the Apostle Paul says that we die in our baptisms. We die in it. And we are raised to new life. And when we die, all those gods that we shape after our own desires are held down in that water and violently drowned like Pharaoh and his men. Now, uh, I think I know that a lot of you have been baptized here in a couple of weeks. We'll have our baptism class. I, I encourage you to come to that just to learn about baptism a bit more. But the reality is this. Your baptism is important to you. Even if you don't remember it. Because it's that day when Christ took a hold of you and He drowned those gods that you shaped for yourself, those idols. And He drowned you. And He brought you up to new life. And each and every day, as you're reminded of Christ's death for you and your death with Him in baptism, it is a reminder that each and every day you've got to drown that old man, as Paul talks about, in those waters of baptism. To remove from Him that sinfulness and those those gods that you carry around with you in your pocket and in your heart and in your mind. Those gods that can do nothing for you. They will not die for you. They will not stand up for you. But they will take your time. They will take your energy. They will take your heart. They will take your finances. And so, it is through water Jesus has redeemed you and He has raised you to new life.
Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.